you. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. The righteous, excuse me, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. He shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros, Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of of the earth. Our Lord, your absolute unrestrained God. Your power cannot be measured. We are so grateful that that is also true of your love, your mercy, your grace, your kindness. We're asking that today, as we meet together, the one whose fellowship will be most heartening to us and will, will strengthen us and energize us, enabling us to leave here stronger and wiser than when we came, will be you. We will dwell in your presence, receiving from you all that you purpose to give to us for our deliverance and your glory. We ask for this outcome in your name, good King Jesus. 
And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we turn with me to round into chapter 8. I'm very grateful for the message that our brother Brandon was able to bring last week uh, of, and how the very passage that he used, this is what he testified to me later, and it's what he also testified to the people at this, at this systematic theology. That very passage that he preached on was the very passage that God had used in his life experience to give him understanding to deal with those issues. He had actually gone through time after time after time believing he must have lost it. He must not have been authentically converted. must not have been because I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this if I was really redeemed. I couldn't do this if I was really. No, God was actually giving him ears to hear. And he finally got to that passage where God directed him in Romans 7 and 8, where God unfolded to him what the issue was and how to walk in victory. So we're stepping down into, let me read uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, just to pick up with the very close of what he covered. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's not talking about a future resurrection. He's talking about here and now. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies that have a bent toward sin and death. He will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You don't owe your fallen nature any obedience. By the way, it will speak to you with authority. Oh, Alexi, who do you think you are that you can defy me? You've been doing what I want all your life. You think you can get away? No, you can. Because God the Holy Spirit dwells. You can defy your fallen nature as you understand how to walk in the, in the granted strength of God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to our fallen nature, to live according to the flesh, our fallen nature. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Again, verse 13. 
If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you walk according to your fallen sinful nature, it's going to have a negative effect on you, even to the point of physical death. Certainly spiritual, immediately your relationship with God is fouled up. You don't lose your redemptive redemptive standing with him, but you don't have fellowship with him. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now notice this shocking statement. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And as I've noted before in Romans, that term sons is an enormous title in the Roman Greek Jewish world. It meant full heir of the estate. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, speaking of Christians, Jews, there are Jews, Gentiles, whether we are Jews, Gentiles, slave-free, male, female, we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care what your ethnic background, Paul says, what your ethnic background is. I don't care if you're a male or female. I don't care if you're somebody's slave or if you're a free man. When you come to faith in Christ, you become an heir of God, a son of God. And in, as I've noted before, in the Greek-Roman world, when a, especially the head of an estate, they're not dumb people. We're not going to hand over our estate to some knucklehead kid. <laughs> you would give, when your wife bore a child, male or female, you would take standard operating procedure was to your wisest servant, your wisest slave, you would put them in charge of the education of your child. And when they got to about the age of 12, 13, 14, getting past all that nonsense that happens in early teenage years, they would bring that child whom they had trained to the father who is still not their legal father, but he's their actual father. And the father would quiz his children. And when he, okay, I believe that you have been properly educated. You have the emotional maturity. I can trust you with the estate. And he would take that son or daughter, male or female child. And if he wanted to, he could take a, a slave. to the local, their version of the county courthouse, walk you in and legally adopt you. Then that is when you became an heir of the state. That is when you legally were called a son, regardless of whether you were male or female or had been a slave. You're now a son. This is a huge word in the Greek Roman Jewish culture. We've been made sons of God the owner of all things, the creator of all things. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. What is the biggest proof that God could give to you that you are a full heir? 
God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity has taken up residence in you. <laughs> Could you ask for a bigger proof of God's loyal intentions for you? No. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. He didn't make you a slave, slave of the world. Now you're one of my slaves. No. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, wondering, do I really have an authentic, firm relationship with God? No. You'll receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. And this is so powerful. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. How loyal are daddies to their babies? You don't mess with my baby. You don't, you don't threaten my baby. Abba, we cry out, Abba, Father. This is the Father's heart toward us. I'm not just the creator of all things. I'm, I'm your daddy. Let me tell you something, folks. The angels are getting an education. They are shocked at this. We, sinners, cleansed of the guilt of our sin, granted the very righteousness of Christ, being justified before God, and he also welcomes us as full heirs of the estate. And all of the estate's resources are available to us, including the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit himself. By the way, God the Holy Spirit has more power than my fallen nature. Isn't that cool? Yes. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have a brother sitting right here by the name of Bob who shared his testimony in the Sunday school. I mean, this guy was charging hard after God, charging hard after God, he thought. And he is dealing with other people. And finally, Jesus spoke to him, directed him to Revelation chapter 3, and said, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And you hit your knees, crying out to the Redeemer Jesus to be your Savior. That is the kind of loyal love our God has for us in our calling. In our calling. He seeks us out. He brings us home. And he says, you can now call me daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit tells us, I'm alive to God. You know, folks, I really believe I became a Christian when I was in first grade. And I heard this very simple, very simple gospel presentation, Child Evangelism Fellowship. A red heart, a black heart, and a white heart. As simple, as rudimentary a gospel presentation as could be conceived. It was for first graders. I honestly believe 
that is when I was brought into the kingdom because as that little old gray-haired lady is presenting this, now I've got gray hair, as she's presenting that, oh man, I have a black heart. I have a black heart. I, have a, I want a white heart. I was elated. I can still remember telling my father and my mother what had happened. And I am literally, and I had taken, taken tap dancing classes. I'm tap dancing in front of them, telling them I am so full of joy. And they're like, what? What? What happened? What's going on? I look back. I really believe that's when I was ushered into the kingdom. Why? Because of the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs, a place at the head table, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, the one who has inherited all things, he is the Son of God. He is God the Son. What does that mean? The one to whom all of the estate is coming. What does Jesus say of himself in Matthew 28, following his resurrection, immediately before his ascension into heaven, 10 days before Pentecost? All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has stepped into his place as the heir of all things. The Father has handed the day-to-day -day management of the estate off to God the Son. Now you go into all the world which I possess and preach the gospel, and I will be with you. I will be with you. Not just those 12 guys. Us too. Us too. Will we survive being cast into the den of lions? Daniel did. Will we survive being cast into the, the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. We hear of accounts right now from people around this world that are shepherded through life-threatening events. But it's also true in the internal dynamic. We don't have to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's idol or to our fallen nature or the world system or the devil anymore. We've got all of heaven's resources, <coughs> including the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. What? Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Ouch! Wait, 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 wait. I was good with this, Lord, until you just said that word suffer. The measure by which we join Jesus in his suffering here. The measure by which we are loyal to him and suffer because of our loyalty to him here will is more than made up for 
when we step into kingdom glory. What does Jesus say? The eighth of the eight Beatitudes. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What do you what sort of kingdom inheritance do you think God had awaiting Jeremiah following his murder at the hands of his fellow Jews for Isaiah when he had been sawn in two because of their loyalty? What's, what sort of inheritance do you suppose they stepped into? The same sort of promise belongs to us, Jesus said. So, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And this is a man who had suffered. The Philippian events were behind him. The events that would happen in the Middle East and by which he would then come and through that voyage to Rome, that's still future to him. But as he writes this letter to the Romans, he's already got that event there in Philippi behind him where he and Silas were jailed together. And there was a mighty earthquake in the middle of the night that caused their chains to fall off and the doors of all the jail cells to fly open. He had been through persecution. He had had people plotting his murder from which God had delivered him. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What did Jesus say? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For the earnest expectation of the creation, the creation, the entire physical world, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. When will that be? That will be at the second coming of Christ. That will be at the great white throne. That will be in the eternal reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, where we will, there will be no temple in that new Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord will invite us into unhindered welcome into his presence. He won't be hiding in a holy of holies. No, we will walk into his presence. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because the creation had made some sort of wicked choice, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope with an expectation because the creation itself also would be delivered from the bondage of corruption and of the glorious liberty of the children of God. When, the, when Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the forbidden fruit, what happened? God cursed the ground. That curse is going to be removed and reversed. And the entire creation is waiting. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. 
We're waiting. We're waiting. The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, a liberty from, from the menace of the fall that matches our liberty. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, Lord, I got this fallen sinful nature <coughs> abiding in me, and it's no fun. Yeah, I understand. Deliverance is coming. Deliverance, full deliverance is coming. But oh, by the way, you already have God the Holy Spirit dwelling within you so that on a moment-to-moment, to moment, decision, 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 test to test to test, temptation to temptation to temptation, you have the abiding strength of the Holy Spirit and his direction. Please, 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 please understand God the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the author of this book. He is a person. He is there not only to supply you with power, but his wisdom, his guidance. Be people of the book. This is the book of the Holy Spirit. You can't walk in the Holy Spirit, that person, if you're not listening to his instruction, to his words of promise. Even we, we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope with this expectation. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Lord, that promised day is coming, is coming, is coming, is coming. I'm going to press. I hate to say this, folks, but the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You keep putting one foot in front of the other by the energizing power of the Holy Spirit, and he keeps you in your lane. He keeps you in your lane, keeps you in your lane, but he supplies this energy for the next step and the next step and the next step. But the day is coming when you will press through the tape, and so will we all. We were saved in this hope, this with this expectation, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. With perseverance, you keep putting one foot in front of the other, sometimes in defiance of your emotions. You keep trusting God. Right now on Sunday mornings in the Sunday school class, we are studying Job. Oh, my. Oh, my. That's dangerous because once we get the Job message, uh, Lord, please don't give me the Job test. <laughs> please don't give me the Job test. I got the message. I got the message. I got the message. Let's not do the test. But every one of us faces the Job test at least to one degree or another, according to God's wisdom, with a purpose to step us into outrageous kingdom glory that awaits us. 
And we don't even have a measuring stick to measure what kingdom blessing glory looks like. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. He is residing in us to supply His strength. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Lord, show me what to pray for. Give me guidance in my prayers. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, some people want to understand this as the gift of tongues. But He says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. God the Son is our intercessor. He is at the right hand of God, interceding for us, interceding for us. John, Matthew 10, speaking to the disciples, and I keep quoting this, I'm going to keep quoting it. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Do you want Jesus campaigning for you in heaven? If you, my disciples, deny me before men, I'll keep my lips zipped for you in heaven. I'll deny you before my Father. You don't want that. You want him interceding. But not only does, is God the Son your intercessor in heaven, so is God the Holy Spirit. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself also himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he, God the Father, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God the Father has his ears tilted towards God the Holy Spirit. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, God the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, God the Holy Spirit doesn't have to campaign for us. God the Father is more than willing to answer the Holy Spirit's intercession. He's more than willing to answer positively Jesus' intercession. This is all in our favor. This is the triune God putting everything together in order, and laying it before us so that we would understand all of heaven's favor is available to us. Not just in a theoretical way, not just on a... No, all the time, in every circumstance. And we know that all things... One of the most famous verses in the Bible, Romans 8, 28. Please, if you memorize this verse, which you should, also memorize verse 29, because it's really one big statement. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Stop. This is a man who's already spent time in jail because of his loyalty to Jesus. This is a man who had to be let down in, in a basket out of the over the walls of the city of Damascus to escape the ones who were plotting his murder. This is a man who has endured persecution. All things work together for good. The enemy can't look at you cross-eyed. He can't look at you. He can't threaten you. He can't shake a fist in your face. He can't punch you in the face without divine permission. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The lions could not touch Daniel because they didn't have divine permission. 
they were being guarded. And so it is with us. And here was Paul. He's already been through that episode where sitting in the middle of the night in chains and he and Silas are singing out hymns of praise to God while in a dungeon in the center of the jail singing out hymns of praise to God and suddenly there's an earthquake that has those very unusual outcomes of cell doors flying open and chains falling off because of an earthquake what <laughs> yeah because the God in that jail cell was the same God of creation all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose what is the good that's what verse 29 tells us for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son the good that God is bending every aspect of your life experience toward is to mold you into the image of his son that you should be a Jesus replica <sighs> really God would honor me a fallen rebellious sinner take me from condemnation not only to a forgiveness standing but molding me into the very image of his son as a Jesus replica for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren we he is the son of God and we are sons of God moreover whom he predestined and this is the whole narrative of your relationship with God whom he predestined which is before the creation of the universe whom he predestined these he also called I just a few minutes ago gave you the narrative of a brother who's here with us right now whom Jesus called now it was a eye-opening call you are lukewarm because you are neither hot nor cold I will spew you out of my mouth what did it do it was the call of God that drove him to authentic repentance and a glad welcome in God's embrace he was called and it was an effectual effective call it worked when God calls you come whom he predestined these he also called whom he called these he also justified not some of these he justified oh well those who there were those who resisted the call and failed again no if it's the call of God it brings you to justification it brings you there it's effective whom he predestined these he also called whom he called these he also justified and whom he justified these he also glorified uh Paul uh this is glorification no it's not the glorification awaits you well that's in the past tense Paul yes I know now I know I've shared this with there's a really cool aspect to Hebrew grammar and Paul's dragging it in here he's, he's writing in Greek but 
If you read the Hebrew Old Testament, if you read the, your English translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, we've got all this stuff in the prophets that's all this future tense stuff, still events future to us. And of course, they're in the future tense. But you know what? In the Hebrew text, they're not. It's in what's called, in the Hebrew text, called the prophetic perfect. It's the same tense as past time completed actions. Why are they writing it in the past tense completed action, perfect tense, when it's a future event? Because if God says it's going to happen, it is as good as done. And so they actually write it in Hebrew in that past tense. And our translators have to sometimes, it's not totally clear. And they have to choose, uh, uh, this could, is this still future or is this something already accomplished? There are not a lot of those, but what we read in the future tense in Isaiah and Jeremiah and these other prophets, in the Hebrew text, that's in what's called the prophetic perfect. It's in the past tense, but it's prophetic. But it is so certain to be done. We're writing it in the past tense as if it's already done. And Paul's doing that here. He's dragging that into the Greek language that he's writing in Roman. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Your glad welcome and embrace in heaven into kingdom glory is as good as done. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? Satan, go pound sand. Who do you think you are? All of your power was yanked away from you by what my Savior accomplished on the cross. And he is my intercessor. He is with me right now. God the Holy Spirit is with me right now. I've got all of heaven's resources. You, Satan, can go pound sand. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Obvious answer, no one. He who did not spare, how, how for us is God? How much for us is God? If God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He already broke the bank when he gave us his son. Frankly, folks, all this kingdom glory stuff that's promised to us, it's wonderful, it's great. But frankly, compared to what he's already done, it's pocket change. He's already given us the greatest gift possible. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Revelation chapter 12. He stands day and night before the throne of God, accusing the brethren. But they, the brethren, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. When they got challenged, they didn't back down. And because they did not love their lives, even unto death, they chose death rather than death. To dishonor Jesus and Satan took a punch to the face every time we fulfill that job description 
It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. He's our defense attorney. He's not the prosecutor. He's our defense attorney. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? If I experience a trial, is that proof that God has forgotten me, that Jesus isn't loyal to me? Not at all. Not at all. Was it a test? Was it a trial when Daniel was thrown in the den of lions? Yes, it was. What is a trial when Isaiah got sawn in two? Yes, it was. And he did get sawn in two. But he stepped into God's embrace. He, Isaiah, and his God had the victory. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution. Again, read Job, read Job, read Job. I know that my Redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth. And though after my flesh worms destroy this body, from still from within my own flesh, I will see God. I'm redeemed. I'm going to die. I'm going to rot in a grave, but I'm going to be yanked out of that grave and I will stand before God and my resurrection. Folks, in those two or three verses is the entire redemption narrative. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. He's even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, not having enough food, not having enough clothing, or peril, threats, or sword. Actually taking that sword strike, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet, when that sheep was offered to God, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Yet in all these things, in the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. <coughs> more than conquerors. Wait a minute. They can take your head off. Paul's going to have his head taken off. Oh, but he testified to those who took his life. Peter was crucified. But he testified to those who crucified him. And they crucified him upside down because he told them to. What did the leader of the crucifixion team say of Jesus when it was all over? Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus had conquered that man's heart. He had conquered that man's understanding. In all these things, we are more than the con than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, no matter what the manner of our death, nor life, anything we would 
encounter in this life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. No matter power coming from whatever venue, whether it's angels or humans, they're all servants of God. Nor things present that we, that we might perceive to be a threat in some day to come, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, anything from the height above or from the depths below, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Okay, well, look what we did to you. Surely God doesn't love you. Oh, yes, he does. God demonstrated his love toward us, toward me, and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. God's love never departs from me. Even after what I did to you? Yeah, because you're actually enhancing my future kingdom glory because in the face of all your persecution and harm, I'm remaining steadfastly loyal to my Savior. None of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing is proof that God's love has departed from me. The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word we translate from the New Testament, witness, is the word martyr, martyros. Well, when we hear the word martyr, what's the immediate image that jumps into our minds? It's those people being crucified or burned at the stake or thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum or many of the other places, all of these people Put, deliberately put out in public view because of their loyalty to Jesus and their refusal to worship the emperor. And they are crucified before these crowds of people in the Colosseum. And what are they doing? They're forgiving their crucifiers. They are, they are martyrs. They are witnesses. Because why was there a gospel explosion in the Roman world? Because these people who ought to have been begging for their lives and cursing the God who had sent them to this instead are forgiving their crucifiers, their persecutors, and worshiping God. And the audience goes, oh my, oh my, oh my, just like the centurion who said of Jesus, truly this was the Son of God. What? does that person know that gives them the freedom to forgive to actually worship god in the midst of their pain what do they know that i don't know and those martyrs those witnesses whom satan thought by doing this he's going to crush christianity instead he caught the explosion In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's ask our Lord to enable us in the week to come to walk in the wisdom, in the reality of both the inner resource and the external resources, his love, his kindness, his loyalty to us, and all of his provision, both what Jesus did on the cross and his present intercession for us, both in heaven and here in the Holy Spirit's intercession for us and supplying to us his strength. 
Let's pray. Our Lord, you've given us a job to do, but you've also supplied us with every resource to do the job. One step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, but it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. One step at a time. Supply to us the step-by-step-by-step-by-step energy we need and understanding that we need, insight that we need to truly walk in your energizing power and your wisdom in this hostile environment, both that which surrounds us and that which dwells within us. Enable us to defy, by the strength of your Holy Spirit, our own fallen nature and to turn away from it and walk instead in your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, instead of the power of the flesh. We ask this of you, and we are asking that one week from today, we will hear words of praise of what you've done in the next seven days. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.